You can always, when you tell the truth, yeah. you can always look back yeah. and history will protect what you've said and done. Yeah. When you tell a lie, yeah. you have to keep telling the lie yeah. and you have to somehow hope that it never gets seen. Yeah. I think if you're that level of um, celebrity, such yeah. as Taylor, it's all truthful. I, I just can't see her having a facade for some times and not other times. Yeah. I just can't see it. Yeah. Uh, watching Manny Pacquiao, he was one of the most lovely and respectable gentlemen that I've ever seen. Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah, everyone yeah. says that about Manny. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Um, you, you know, I, I think it, it. if it's a lie, it gets found out. Yeah. And if it's the truth, then it, every time you look back in history, uh, uh, previous activities of that person demonstrated again and again and again and there's just a history built up over time everyone is just another sack of skin yeah air goes in and out blood goes round and round yeah. heart beats and the brain thinks yeah and what they want is what they want and it's the same as you and I and that is they want to experience joy they want to avoid pain and they want to be around people they love and people that care for them. yeah mm. Do you go to go to bed at night time and know that tomorrow that A, B, and C are uncompromisable? Must do. Yeah, I definitely put that in my mind. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a I'm a I'm a list writer. I'm a task setter. I'm mm-hmm. a. These are my actions for the day. This is what I'm going to do without compromise before I go to bed. Uh, and then there's also the things that I just put in the delegate part pile, and I tell I might tell people, yeah, I'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not. I'm, I don't prioritise it yeah. because it doesn't it doesn't hit that category of it has to be done. I, I bet you there are things that you don't prioritise too that, forgive me, other people would because you just see that they're not Everest. They're just little molehills and that in the perspective of life, they really don't matter. Yeah. And you've got that ability to discern that's a B, that's a C, yeah. this is really the A. Yeah. Does that make you bolder? Mate, fascinating. You should say that I was reading a Sadhguru book. Yeah, he loves oh, yeah. Sadhguru. Bernie <laughs> loves Sadhguru. Uh, yesterday, and he was asked. He says, uh, uh, Sadhguru, how come you got all these volunteers helping you put together this uh, this 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 big conference? And he says, that's because they love me. And they said, how do you get people to love you? He says, it's easy. You got to love them first. Oh, this is an exciting, a very... I feel as if I'm with Steven Seagal again, Chip. <laughs> hey, yeah, do you think he's Bruce Willis? Yeah, I'm hey? going to go Bruce Willis because I'm a bigger Bruce oh, we've Willis done that. fan. <laughs> we've done that with Tim Alexander, but I reckon Tim's ghost is going to return to this particular episode, mate. Yeah, yeah I, I have that feeling too. Hey, buddy, t- the Tim Alexander episode, that was the one in which he really did surprise me by throwing in front of my face... A quote that went something like, oh, Bernie, you can be the most loving human being that you want to be. You can go and spread the love, Bernie. But if you can't assert, aggress, and know when to stand up for what is right, have a little bit of tough love, he says, Bernie, and I love the word he came up with, he said, you are helpless. Mm, Yeah, he did like that one, didn't you? I really did too. I mean, it it sums up something you have intuited your whole life, but you haven't really had words for. Yeah, but he just kept on speaking about aggression. (laughs) Well, you made him. You kept asking. No. What do you? 
And I thought, oh, no, you can't be that aggressive. However, I think what did come out of that was the term tough love. Mm. Now, Chipster, we haven't got a tough love message. We do later on when I introduce our guests, our listeners to Ben Hosking. There'll be a bit of tough love in that, I'm sure. But, mate, we have a love message because we have something that's coming out next week, Chip. Can you just give our listeners just a little taste? Oh, I love it how you set me up for that. Yeah, we're finally getting the website up. Website's going to be live uh, by next Friday. The beauty of the website being launched, apart from being a year overdue, is that our guests are going to be able to connect with our listeners. Mm. in a very special way mm. because, Ben, what we're going to foster is um, a, a gift from you, something that allows our listeners to come to you, connect with you. It may not be directly, but it may be Ben's three biggest tips. Uh, for example, Louise Bennett, when she was on in recent uh, episodes, had this most incredible poetry about you know, love and joy and her cancerous journey. I know that sounds um, paradoxical, but an incredible um, set of poems. And so they are now available for our, our listeners and they're going to be available through our website, mate. So, mate, you're not just here to give us information about love, joy and fighting. <laughs> <laughs> you're here to also connect with our listeners and our community of listeners because, buddy, just remind you, we're just two average guys. To average fellow, I just happen to look for a better way. <laughs> well, hopefully, I can help in some way. Yeah, we better introduce well, him now since well, well Ben, uh, let Ben introduce himself because I know that he's a he, he's the operations manager of Panoptic Solutions. But, buddy, how about you start there? What the freaking hell is Panoptic Solutions? Sure. Well, what I, do you do? I, I guess the first thing is probably explaining what Panoptic means, and it's an all-encompassing or all-encompassing or total uh, approach to a problem. So it's being able to see all angles and metrics mm. and trying to provide a simple solution to a complex problem, um, yeah. which is what we do. We we take uh, guys with specialist backgrounds from policing, uh, security, military, government. You know, three-letter acronym agencies, yeah. and we get them to provide their skill sets into the private enterprise world and solve really complex problems with really simple solutions. All right. Well, bring it to life for us. Give us an example of a typical problem, and you don't have to mention names. We understand all that, but give us an example of, of, of a problem that you solve. Okay. Well, What's I mean, typical? Th this one isn't mine, so I'm happy to brag about it. It's one of the other boys <laughs> in the office that did this. It's a, it's a fantastic <laughs> demonstration, though. Yeah, so... Uh, New Year's Eve on Sydney Harbour. It's a pretty busy time of the year. Yeah. And if you've got a high net worth individual or a, a protectee, a principal or a family member that you're looking after, um, getting them in and out of the harbour for the fireworks show can be quite difficult because yeah. there's no movement orders in place. You're not able to get on and off the water. So we had a principal that we were looking after on New Year's Eve in Sydney Harbour on a private yacht that they chartered and they needed to get from the yacht back to their hotel but they're in competition with every other person that's trying to do the same thing. Right, right okay. So we've got the responsibility to try and move them through yeah. a no-move area, yeah. get them off the water and through a public throng without anyone knowing who they are, yeah. what they're doing or mm. how they're getting there or where, they, where they're going even because yeah. you don't want these people's residences to be identified. And we were successful in getting them off the water through a private arrangement with another provider and yeah. then bringing them back onto Sydney Harbour and walking them through an entire... 
um, shutdown area yeah. just through coordinating with different people that we've got different connections with and we're able to sync up our operations and then get them back to the hotel without anyone even recognising who they were, what they were doing or that they were even out in public in Australia. Mate, this sounds like getting David Warner off the SCG after his last testing. <laughs> I don't know if we can handle that. I reckon that's probably beyond our capabilities. But, um, yeah, you know, we, we do that. Uh, another one recent, uh, not maybe not recently, but closer to home was uh, the Battle of Brisbane. We were supporting Manny Pacquiao when he fought oh, Jeff Horn. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I saw that um, fight. Yeah, that was, that was one of the few jobs that we can probably talk about because it was such a public showing of what we do. Mm. For the most part, we never talk about our clients and who they are. Yeah, but in yeah, that instance, yeah. we were taking someone who is incredibly recognisable yeah. all the way around Brisbane on a daily basis when he was doing his exercise, going for a run, uh, travelling through the streets of Brisbane or going for training sessions. And then we even had the walkout. So we're doing the walkout out into the arena, which was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Right? I was there that day. Yeah. So we were the people that yeah. were making sure he got there safely yeah. or wasn't in, he didn't have anyone interfere with his path of movement or his safety or his logistics. It was absolutely hectic. Yeah. Um, so gut ho- level it, mate. Gut level it? Yeah. Did he win the fight? <laughs> I mean, there's controversy about the decision. Not for me. Yeah, sure. Not for me. What about for you? No. Don't you give me a 50-50 answer, <laughs> mate. No, 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 Who won the fight? Jeff Horn. Jeff Horn, Jeff Horn, Horn won, won the fight. fight. Absolutely. And, and, and I'll tell you my opinion on that is uh, Jeff Horn won the fight before the fight happened. I thought Jeff Horn was training harder and working more. Yeah. And what I saw when they, they did a little meet at one of the youth centers of the boxing center where Jeff Horn was training out of and just the work ethic that that man had in comparison to what I saw yeah. uh, on a daily basis just said to me that Jeff Horn – was hungrier. Yeah, okay, mm, okay. Yeah. So you were actually watching Manny Pacquiao prepare for the fight as well? Yeah, well, I mean, we're providing his protection. Right, so okay, on okay, a daily basis. okay. Not obviously his lead up in his camp beforehand. Yeah. But in Australia, I definitely thought Jeff Horn still had the hunger. Is Manny Pacquiao um, a guy like Manny? Is there really a serious threat in these situations or is it a, a perhaps a? Well, look, I, I think when you talk about someone in that space, he is also, at the time, a political figure in the That's Philippines. right. That's right. He is too, yeah. Uh, still is, I think. Yeah. So yeah. there's some really intricate uh, risks that you've got to mitigate and manage yeah. there because yeah. you're not just talking about his uh, A-list profile as a yeah. boxer or yeah. a sportsman. You're talking about the fact that he could be a politically politically protected person or yeah. there could be issue-motivated groups that are targeting him. In, the, in that instance, with the risks that we'd assessed and the information that we'd had in so far as the intelligence reports, we were dealing with... Uh, fixated persons, uh, really, really hyped up fans. Okay. People mm. that just wanted to lay hands on yeah. him, the legend. Yeah. And, and is that going to be the typical threat you're dealing with, with, say, a sportsman or a celebrity, as opposed to, say, a high net worth individual, things like that? Yeah. Well, I mean, it just depends on the, if you were to take a, an ultra high net worth individual during COVID, each, each of them had an opinion, and the ones that expressed their opinions during COVID would gather fixated persons on either side, good yeah. and bad, on, on yeah. what was going on with the vaccination so that presents its own risks when you go to an a-lister who might have a celebrity following you know a current one right now is taylor swift yeah yeah mm. yeah you know she's, she's the one really she is the she? one isn't yeah. she yeah absolutely and and the number of fixated persons uh unlike in the policing law enforcement side of my background yeah the the fixated persons are 12 to 
20-year-old fans <laughs> yeah. and generally female. Yeah. And, and they're, not wow. to, they're, okay. not, they're not there to compromise their personal safety. Yeah. They're there to get a selfie. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's all they want. Wow. And your responsibility in that sense then isn't to uh, prevent the threat from arising for a compromise to its safety. Yeah. It's just to maintain her, the integrity of her own privacy. Mate, mm. lay it on the table. Yeah. Did you win the Taylor Swift contract <laughs> for protection at the no, MCG. And that's, and that's why I'm here right now because I'm not sure you've got the Taylor contract. Yeah, no. Uh, uh, but yeah. some very good friends of ours in the industry have and wow. she's in fantastic hands and um, I couldn't be happier to know that they're looking after her because they are fantastic guys. Well, mate, I reckon she was under more threat at the Super Bowl <laughs> the other day. Yes, yeah, her boyfriend was watching. Wow, wow, yeah. wow, wow. Well, I mean, look at the, the Secret Service came out and provided a brief on all of the work that they were doing around the Super Bowl because yeah. it's such mm. a high value event or a high, high yeah, event. yeah 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 mm. hey but buddy you have been a protector in inverted commas or whatever that means to yeah. the princes William and Harry <laughs> true yeah true it is, it tell true. us what That's was your role profile. there looking after William mm. and Harry we should context it to how old were they at the time uh, when was this yeah so this was uh, oh this would be. Plus five years ago, uh, okay. back when I was working with the Northern Territory Police. I think Harry was visiting for um, a military tour and it wasn't a high profile visit, but he needed a detail while on the ground because he came under that guest of government space. Yeah. Let, 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 let's change the, the focus here. While protecting these individuals, you actually get the opportunity to observe them. And I'm, uh, this is how ignorant I am. I'm putting them under the category of the rich and the famous and the, you know, the royal and the beautiful. Um, That's probably fair. Yeah. <laughs> Similar to what's going <laughs> oh, on thank in this you, room, Chip. for sure. <laughs> what, what do you notice about them? Um, what's different? about those who enter into that space whereby the public um, adores them as the rich and the famous, the untouchable, the head of hierarchy, etc. If you had to sort of like identify two or three observations that sort of like summarise them, <laughs> what would you come up with? The most poignant one for me occurred when I was on a detail with the police uh, and it was, I think people in general place celebrity or fame or status on a pedestal and they place those people as somehow elevated in stature or responsibility or their capabilities to make decisions or... Mm, they make idols of them. Yeah, correct. And what I recognised on one of these details, one of the official government details that I was providing was... They're just sacks of skin like you and I. Mm. Yeah. And they go to the bathroom and they fail and they fart and they do all the things that we they all do. They fail in the bathroom? Uh, no, they, <laughs> well, I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> in context. Yeah, well, yeah, sure. That's what we do. We kind of mess. No, you know, they, they, they've got all the same um, uh, things that we deal with as individual yeah. human beings. And it, it, it really changed my perspective on what protection is. It's more about protecting the individual's personal integrity versus, mm. um, you know, this whole idea of what that person is. Sure, that is carried with them. But when you're dealing with them in that really close proximity, you're dealing with another human. In a, in a way, yeah. do you notice within these individuals, where are, are you able to recognise that in some way 
they are furthest away from their true self. Because now, because if we say that self is is them living in their own minds and their minds have created, it's also been what they've accepted that the environment has bestowed upon them. This is a fabricated self. And in some ways are you observing individuals who are as far away um, from true self as, as maybe an individual is? Well, I'll think on it. Um, Not too much, mate, because the podcast is only. <laughs> you can, yeah, we can cut the blank. <laughs> no, I, I like this. It's good. Yeah, take your time. If I were to take us back to the Battle of Brisbane. What's the Battle of Brisbane again? Oh, oh Manny Pacquiao, yeah, Pacquiao, Jeff <laughs> Horn, mate. Yeah. I've got to keep yeah, on thinking no, the bloody okay. bombers, World War II yeah. or something. No, you no, know, no, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So if I take us back there. When we're moving, when we're moving the principle between point A and point B, and they're in secure transport, and there's no one else around, they can be their their absolute self. Yeah. There's mm. no interference. When they come out of that safe logistical move, where we're providing all of that efficient transport and safety and security around a protective bubble, a front comes on because it's it's a it's a forward facing personality. Yeah. Who's to say that front isn't what they wanted in the first place? Yeah. And what, you know, there was a driving factor to be famous. I, I don't know. But if you to go a step further, yeah. where we went from transport and front in public forward facing roles to the performance, yeah. and you might look at, you know, Taylor Swift performing on stage or, you know, Jeff Horn fighting in the ring or, you know, yeah. Pacquiao, that's got to be the truest. The truest presentation of a person's individual self, I think, that you could see is when they perform like that because they, they have spent their entire lives yeah. dedicated to that capability and that profession. Yeah. And mm. what we're doing in getting them there safely is facilitating them being the best version of themselves. Yeah, at the I time. like that. I, I like, like that a lot. Like it gets it. back to, uh, I reckon. Which which value you're serving when these guys are up there performing? I mean, they're serving yeah, one of their altruistic. deepest values, yeah, absolutely. which is bringing well, joy to other people. Yeah, correct. Yeah. I, I can't say that I've been an advocate of watching Taylor Swift in action. <laughs> <laughs> I think you need to watch uh, however, her more, You'll get However, there. I have seen a few recent photographs and I think I should. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I know how you feel. But, but may I say this, right? I think even in the speaking game, the training game, and trying to connect with an audience, I've now recognised that the greater performance is when your authentic self can actually flow through the filter of performance, but the authenticity is not lost. I would think that Taylor Swift, if she's going to connect with fans, there can't be a facade, Taylor, that people fall in love with. That. How do you protect that day in, day out, every minute, every hour when there's a camera on it? You know? mm. Ben? You, you can always, when you tell the truth, yeah. you can always look back yeah. and history will protect what you've said and done. Yeah. When you tell a lie, yeah. you have to keep telling the lie yeah. and you have to somehow hope that it never gets seen. Yeah. I think if you're 
that level of um, celebrity, such yeah. as Taylor, it's all truthful. I, I just can't see okay. her having a facade for some times and not other times. Yeah. I just can't see it. Yeah. Uh, watching Manny Pacquiao, he was one of the most lovely and respectable gentlemen that I've ever yeah, seen. Isn't that great? Yeah, everyone yeah. says that about Manny. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, yeah. You, you know, I, I think it, if it's a lie, it gets found out. Yeah. And if it's the truth, then it, every time you look back in history, uh, at previous activities of that person, it's demonstrated again and again and again. And there's just a history built up over time. Without mentioning the individuals, which is a shame, maybe we should. <laughs> Steady <laughs> on, really, news really night. good over here. Am Steady I, on, Piers Morgan. Am I overstepping my role, Chip? <laughs> <laughs> You're flirting with it. Um, you must see a lot of individuals who perhaps haven't yet come to grips with that. And consequently, when they move into public forum, the mask and the facade goes on, which effectively is a lie. And, and and I'm I'm not saying they're also in performance mode. I get that, but if the if the feeling of authenticity and realness is lost, even in that public forum, then touchability and connectability with that person is lost. You must see some of the rich and the famous still make the error of putting on the mask, or do they just not last? Um. Uh, Great, really great in-depth question. The, the answer from my side of it is that I actually spend more time around corporate and ultra high net worth families that have been established for a longer period of time than I do around A-listers and celebrities. Yeah. And it's very rare that Panoptic or even myself have been engaged by up-and-comers. Yeah. And that can be to do with they don't know – what they don't know. They don't know that mm. having someone or a team of, you know, top tier, incredibly well-trained professionals will change their life in ways that they don't even realize exist. Yeah. But the ones that are, um, have been wealthy for a long time or are ultra wealthy. Yeah. And when I say that I'm talking in the, the multi-billion category of wow. wealth, yeah, they understand that, the most important thing is time and they're prepared mm. to pay for the efficiency of having their time improved and that's what we do. Yeah, that's a beauty. Yeah. So yeah. We, we are all about solving their complex problems. They yeah. want to go from point A to point B and they want to spend the least time in transit with the least interference as possible and they want to enjoy privacy and the integrity of that privacy to the absolute utmost value of the time that is happening in that period. Yeah. And that is what we do. As, as an executive protection professional – with the level of training and background that I bring or that Troy, the uh, di director of the business brings or anyone else in the office, yeah, we're all about maximizing efficiencies. And yeah. often those efficiencies aren't as well recognized by, let's just say, talent or A-list or celebrity uh, because they haven't been around it long enough to realize that mm. a real executive protection team isn't seen. Yeah. yeah. It's just effective. Yeah. Whereas a bodyguard is, you know, the six foot, whatever, seven XL fashion accessory kind yeah, of thing. Correct. Yeah. So they're yeah. in LA and they're walking down the strip in Santa Monica and no one can get near them because there's a circle of human flesh that is, you know, circa a thousand kilos because four guys at 250 are just standing on their shoulder, yeah. you know, massive units. There's a big difference between these two realms of what we do. Yeah. So 
the the actual answer to that question about seeing them with a facade is that no, I've I've not seen that. All of the clients that I've worked with have been genuinely uh, just authentic people yeah. that I've been around in very close intimate situations and are who them who they are in person as they are. Sorry, in private as they are in public. Yeah, well, do you mm. think they learnt that? Do you think they, they, they came through their, their, their ups, their downs, their wins, their losses, their financial highs, the fall of the share market, their falls? Yeah. Is the pain and the chaos of that journey actually taught them um, to be more authentic? I... I'm not the right person to answer the psychological element of that question, mm, but yeah, I would yeah. definitely say from experience, those who have been through incredible turn of events, yeah, say overnight billionaires, yeah, they go through such challenges. There's going to be you know exponential growth in comparison to someone who say not gone through that, who might just be working at the checkout at Coles. Yeah. Mm. Now, the, the exponential growth the person at Coles might have could be all relative to their family or a life situation they've had to deal with or maybe they're a care of their family and, and their exponential growth is in humility and empathy and you know other traits and um, values. But the, the people I've been around so far with the work that I've done, they're, they're just authentic people yeah. realistically mm. they, they just are who they are and yeah. there's no there's no front over here and then there's another front out here it's I've, I've seen them in you know a business setting standing on their shoulder and they're the same as when they're sitting in the car driving back to their home yeah well okay yeah. okay yeah. okay and just to linger on that for a second and this is a lit, kind of a personal question speaking as a low-level spoiled rich brad myself <laughs> i've been thinking a lot about this lately my wife and i are thinking about kids all this kind of thing you've spoken about working with people with generational wealth yeah um have you have you noticed things they might have in place for their kids, for the legacy generations that can head off at the past some of the problems that you can really see in terms of, you know, divorcing from, say, the problems of the rest of us, you know, that kind of thing, and losing touch with a life that's not sort of born into a serious level of privilege? Oh, it sounds like there's a lot of questions in that. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, Just go with whatever. Yeah, I feel like the first one that I've seen so far is that is the establishment of the family office mm. and the establishment of the family office with a, a structure around the management of the wealth for that family um, to my understanding is to uh, enable those children or those those descendants let's call them the intergener intergenerational mm. exchange of wealth that's going to happen the opportunity to one enjoy the benefits of what they've got but two to also potentially grow up without having a stress associated with what is actually going to be the life around them. I can remember specifically being on a beach in um, a tropical island in the Pacific and I was on a detail with a family and the net value of the children of that family would be, you know, a small country. Yeah. And thinking these kids were completely oblivious to this. Yeah. They're playing mm. on the beach. Yeah. It was, it was one of the best things I've ever seen because they weren't there knowing who they were. They knew who they were. They knew that they lived a different life because there were people around them to support them all the time and, 
you know. Yeah, it's inescapable. It's, it's inescapable. Of However, yeah. they've got the structures in place, and and I guess this is where the difference exists between um, maybe new and not so much wealth versus ultra high mm. net wealth and intergenerational exchanges. Uh, you, you've got people and things in place that support those children as they're coming up, and it's a different, it's a different approach to wealth management. It's a different approach to how those kids are going to grow up. Yeah, it's yeah, but that strikes me as just an outsized version of what we understand is just good solid parenting, right? Like you let the yeah. kids be kids. Yes, you're going to be an adult one day. You're going to have to assume some responsibility one day. But yeah. not right now. You're a yeah. kid. Be a kid. Yeah, and it, it, that's yeah. a that's a great take on it, Chip. Mm-hmm. It, it really is that that there that specific example. I don't know about their family office structure. Mm. I know they have a family office structure. I'm not the CEO of their family office or yeah. whatever. But I do know that those parents, those individuals that we were looking after, circuit, you know, and their children, took a very holistic. Um, authentic approach to raising their children oh. as children yeah. yeah as they themselves may have been raised and and where does that come from well maybe that's nature nurture values all those other yeah, things that happened complex. prior to yeah and that's not for me to comment on like i won't comment on the psychology of the, the facade or anything but you know it's so far i've been very lucky to see fantastic authentic people yeah that i've been looking after and i i have been able to enjoy the details, which is the jobs, the tasks yeah. that I've worked on, yeah, and the yeah. families, yeah, yeah, Maybe. real meaningful work too. It is, it? Yeah. yeah, that's great. Even now, you're alluding to the value of time, like these parents that you're speaking about, this family that you looked after. You're almost intimating that they still found time for their children. Oh, yeah. Bernie, without doubt, that was the number one priority for that family. Yeah, well, wow. that I saw was Some... <laughs> their net worth enabled them to increase that time that they had with their family. Okay, and, and they utilized the it for that purpose. Sure, as yeah. well as you know, education and yeah. all the life skills that the children yeah. have to go through and all that sort of stuff that they. There's an expectation that society brought, brings on children to to do, be a part of, and grow up into an adult. It was the Im- improvement in their ability to spend time together, quality time. That was yeah. what their focus was. Yeah. And mm. I, I would challenge anyone that's listening to tell me that if they've got a family, they don't want more time with that family. Yeah. I mean, sure, I don't really, you know, well, want to go and spend time at Christmas with some in-laws, but um, <laughs> no, that's a lie. I've got fantastic oh, in-laws. Hey, hey, good save. My mother-in-law is an absolute champion. I lucked out. I totally yeah. lucked out. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, isn't father-in-law is lovely. Uh, I, I couldn't be luckier. Yeah, yeah, good in-laws are a gift. Yeah. But, but I know some people don't, so yeah, that's the joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> G'day, my fellow lions of this self-improvement Serengeti. It's Chip here, just dropping in with another of my hopefully meaty loaded questions. Now you can hear in the preceding discussion that Bernie was interrogating Ben's experience of the rich and the famous and the powerful. And it got me thinking, this human obsession with idols can be uplifting. When we celebrate people for a particularly useful skill or for practicing their craft at an inspiringly high level, that's uplifting for us all, inspiring for us all. But there's a dark side too, isn't there? Because often that hero worship tips over into hostility. The Germans call it schadenfreude. We Australians call it tall poppy syndrome. And it comes to the same thing. We want to see our idols fail. And I think that toxic desire grows out of one thing, 
envy. So here's the loaded question, and it's a three-parter. First, of what are you envious? Now go deeper. What do you feel is lacking in yourself to fuel that envy? Deeper still now. What could you do to address and overcome that perceived failing in yourself? Tipster, guess what? This is an opportunity for you and I to talk about one of our favourite subjects, Nepal, Nepal and the Himalayas. Yeah, I got that uh, pre-trip <laughs> excitement now. You know, the anticipation's not one of the best bits. When are we going? We're going April 3rd. April the 3rd. And we've got some people going to Everest Base Camp over 14 days, eight days there, yeah. six days back, and others at exactly the same time. The cool kids. We're going to Gokya. Oh, man. Mate, I'm so pumped. You know, because you know, because I thought we were going to Gokio last trip, and then we, and then we had to take these people to where they wanted to go. Um, but as, look, as much as I love Everest Base Camp, seen it, I am very keen for Gokio, mate. I'm just keen for the Himalayas because yeah, yeah, every yeah. time I walk into that environment, those mountains speak to me. They penetrate my soul. Mm. But coupled with the beauty of Shering, Shering, yeah, our Sherpa. Yoda uh, and his beautiful team and of course they're founded in incredible wonderful Buddhism Buddhism principles mm. and the trilogy of that mate I don't know what it does to you but I'll tell you what mate I come back a different person every time better person I hope you know no, <laughs> what do you mean you hope it's <laughs> <laughs> keeping you real burn no I mean I love those guys now Preceding the Himalayas, of course, Kagendra. Yeah, it's one of our, it's the unique experience we offer. I mean, not many tours, if any, do something like this. We're going to yeah. take people to give them the opportunity to take a class at Kagendra Second Life School, um, which is the vocational school that we sponsor in Kathmandu. Yeah. One of their main missions is to educate and give opportunities to disabled yeah. children. Right? 600 of them now, Chip. 600 of them. Yeah, we yeah. should hasten to add not all of these are disabled children um, because Kagendra is such a, a renowned school now. You know, people just want to send their children here because of the quality of the education. And it's renowned because um, we had the opportunity after the earthquakes of 2015 yeah. to embark upon a project to build them a brand new school. And in May 2022, that's what we walked into. Yeah. One of the more memorable days of my life to walk into that beautiful school mm. and have that school assembly. Now, we're leaving on April the 3rd. And Chip, for our listeners out there, uh, we're asking you to invest in whatever airfare that you want. And you've got choices, dear people. Yep. You just need to meet us in Kathmandu on April the 3rd. And I can let you know now that there's an opportunity to to buy the rest of it, buy the whole experience for under $4,000 at the moment. And there so all they have to do is to get in contact with us. The website's nearly there, not quite. Nearly, But yeah. we just need them to take this phone number, all right? Yep. Now, you got a pen? No, you haven't got a pen. Go get yourselves a pen. Yeah, I'm giving you a few bit of time. You got one? Yeah, you got it. Okay, here we go. Plus 61, 412. Nine eight two 
444. Replay the podcast if you want to hear that number again. And all you got to do is just text me, dear people, and say, yeah. hey, Bernie, I'm interested. Send me an information kit. Within 24 hours, you'll have all the information that you could possibly need to make an informed decision about joining us. Chip, how much would we love to have some of our listeners on board? Oh, it'd be the best. And it's always a fantastic experience. The community and the walking the trail with other people. I mean, and the camaraderie. You yeah. feel like that's... Yeah. That's probably my uh, favourite part of this whole thing. And as we're walking towards Dingbo Shay from Pangbo Shay, which podcast do you think they'll say was the best, Chip? Oh, certainly mine. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, that was the wrong answer, you dude, Feature. <laughs> my entire focus is set up to support what they're going to be doing. I get you, mate. Yeah. yeah. I get you. So yeah, I, yeah, I wish yeah. I could give a nugget there. Yeah. But really, my attention is just, it's. So focused on what my task yeah, is. Yeah, mm. we, we wish you could have given a nugget there too, mate. <laughs> so, I think, sorry, I think the, uh, a lot exam- of alluvial dirt there, mate. Don't you think, eh, mate? <laughs> alluvial. Not much there, Chip. Yeah, well said. Alluvial <laughs> silver. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm, I'm happy enough. I think that's very instructive, the um, example of the children. I mean, that's – I'm going to – I think I, these people – it's what – Ben's been saying these people are people. I will bet that whatever they do with that time is just another expression of what any of us yeah. would want to do with that time. Yeah, yeah. That, and know? that goes back to that first comment about the recognition on the task that I was doing when I was still in government service was everyone is just another sack of skin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Air goes in and out, blood goes round and round, yeah. heart beats and the brain thinks. Yeah. And what they want is what they want and it's the same as you and I and that is they want to experience joy they want to avoid pain and they want to be around people they love and people that care for them. Yeah. Mm. Do they focus on or do you notice any focus on them maximising their ability to be a more loving human being? Um, I mean, there's a lot of distraction there is, in their world, I would imagine. There's enormous amount of distraction. Mm. And, and does that come at a cost? Now... There's, there's an assumption there. The assumption there is, is that there is value on pouring energy into becoming a more loving human being and maybe greater value than other. Right? So that's an assumption. But do you see in them that they can – are they on track to becoming that person or do they lose sight of it? Uh, I would say that the – the approach to what they're doing with their personal lives is is always so protected for each and every one of them. However, there is definitely an attendance, uh, and I'm thinking of two specific separate families that I've looked after. There is definitely an attendance to how can they maximise the value they present as a person, yeah. whether that's through their businesses that they're controlling and that they're building, yeah. how can they altruistically um, create benefits for society with what yeah. they're doing or through their philanthropic work, okay, which is huge, mm. right? In this okay. space, the philanthropy is just ginormous, yeah. whether or not they're running multiple foundations or whether or not they're supporting, you know, international level uh, resolution of um, uh, any sort of charity that they're sort of supporting, things yeah. like, you know, Destiny's Rescue, which yeah, you mentioned yeah, yeah, before. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, they're, they're constantly trying to be good humans. Yeah. And 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 that is that is why I've loved doing what I do because yeah. I'm 
it, the purpose that I took from policing and doing, you know, high-risk tactical entries to resolve domestic violence sieges or whatever it might have been was all purpose-driven around protecting people. Yeah. Saving someone who was a victim in a situation from, from some sort of bad action by another individual. Now, it's a more global approach because the the ultra high net worth individuals and the families that we're looking after through the contract management that we do is all about ensuring they're able to do the work that they're going to do the good work that they're going to do yeah mm. yeah, yeah it's it's a priority focus absolutely do, do do you notice that some of those individuals or many of them actually pour more energy into their development and involvement as a person, do they seem to be more conscious of their 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 their, their progress as a human being, their their involvement as a human being? Uh, do you I, see it? I, I would say that would be someone that would be closer than what I would be. You know, yeah. mm. in, in terms of an executive protection arrangement, we are close. We're not the closest, yeah. and we're not the inside council. We're not the circle. We are the, we're the buffer and the layer around the outer world getting into their inner circle. Yeah. We have a really critical saying that we use when we're talking about working with teams and working with principals or, or clients, and that is friendly, not friends. Gotcha. And, and so we don't ever breach that layer because yeah. the moment you do, I'll guarantee you'll fall down. You'll, yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll overex- overextend yourself in the relationship with them, thinking that your friends yeah. rather than there to support them. You'll make a comment that's related to their decision-making or pro- providing them advice that you're not warranted, to, that you shouldn't be providing, and and you get brought undone. Yeah. So we are always friendly, not friends. Yeah, we don't. Mm. We don't want another <clears throat> Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner in Bodyguard, do we? <laughs> There's no Frank Farmer right. here, people. Yeah. No Frank Farmer here. <laughs> yeah, that's, I only watched that for the first time a few weeks ago. Doesn't make a lick of sense. I thought it, I thought it was supposed to be one of the best movies of the 90s, so I was disappointed. Just on this note, I know I'm just dwelling upon it. Do they read books? Do they read a lot of self-development books? Do they read the latest book that's doing the globe? Oh, Not okay. that close, are you? No, no. Well, uh, the books are everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Books okay. are always everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always books yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Every detail I've been on, there's books everywhere. All right, mate. Fascinating in-depth discussion around the lives and, 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 and what you see. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chipster, I think you're, you're rubbing your hands. Is that – got- uh, Well, I want to – you know, uh, because we've really gone in-depth into what Ben does and how he does it. What I, what I really love about talking to people like you, Ben, like soldiers, uh, cops, people in, in high-stakes environments, right, high-stakes professions, you guys tend to have internalized what really matters, mm. right, because, you, because you're potentially up against life and death, Every day. I mean, that's that's sort of the game, that's isn't true. it? Yep. Yeah, and I think that just necessarily comes along with a higher level of awareness. And I think that bakes off you, by the way. I think it's such a pleasure talking to oh, you. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Um, what I want to know is, I mean, can you remember a time when you didn't have that awareness? And can you talk, if you can, if you can remember, can you talk us through a moment or moments that you can remember coming to the, those awarenesses? Sure, I, I can give you something very specific and it triggered a response in me that I never knew existed and it stands out in my mind. <laughs> this sounds like our jam, mate. Let's get it. <clears throat> so I'd been in the police uh, maybe a year and a half 
Uh, I, for those playing at home, uh, I joined the police when I was young. I was 20 years old. I had mm. uh, no right telling any man or woman what to do with their life because I knew nothing about life myself. I was 20. But someone somewhere in a government agency did, decided to recruit me and train me to be a police officer. And uh, I volunteered under advice uh, to go to Tennant Creek in the Northern Territory, which is approximately the middle of absolutely nowhere. Yep. Been there once or uh, yeah, twice myself. Yeah, it's a thousand kilometres from Darwin and five hundred and fifty kilometres from Ayers, uh, from Alice Springs. Uh, it's got a population of maybe three thousand, if it's lucky, depending on the season and the, whether or not there's a football game on. <laughs> um, and I was working general duties with a partner who, um, whose nickname at the time was uh, Mouse or Little Mouse. And to give <laughs> reference, um, we we had been working together for a couple of months. She was fantastic. Probably still, in my mind, to this day, one of the best general duties police officer partners I'd, I'd ever worked with. Awesome. And she was about 60 kilos, uh, if she was lucky, with her belt, her gun belt on um, and a little bit shorter than I am. Uh, and uh, I'm sitting down, but I'm like 5'10", 5'11". I'm not a big guy. Um, we get called to a domestic siege. And so uh, the reason I give that, that context and the reference is I'm young. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm only just 21, 22. Like, I'm really young. The, what is it? The frontal lobe doesn't finish until yeah. it's 25 for folks. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, I'm not even a grown-up. I'm getting school. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting schooled in yeah, biology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Life is just dominating me at this time. So, we get called to a domestic violence siege. We get there, two well-known people, uh, family of five, three kids, um, mixed, mixed family, so uh, stepfather. Uh, the father had been physically abusing the kids or had a history of physically abusing the kids, you know, putting out cigarettes on them, that sort of stuff. Mm. The mother had called us. It was not a fantastic relationship. These things exist. Sorry for the listeners at home that, you know, have lived through this. If it brings anything up, um, maybe just be aware. Mm. It's a traumatic siege situation. We arrive and the offender, the the, 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 the the guy, he runs off and he jumps the back fence. We try to give chase, but he, t- he takes off. We stay with the family to make sure they're safe. We reassure her everything's going to be okay. Now, in a perfect world, take that lady to a woman's shelter, make sure she's protected. But this is Tennant Creek and it's not a perfect mm. world and there's two police officers on duty and that's it. And so while we're in the middle of that... <clears throat> phone rings, triple uh, O call, attempt suicide. So you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. You've got a domestic violence situation. Yeah. You've got an attempt suicide for a young Indigenous male in the main street of Tennant Creek. So we rush to that. We resolve that situation. Please keep in mind, like, we're dealing with a really violent domestic situation. We go to a attempt suicide, stop the suicide. Ambos turn up. They take away the suicide. Phone rings while we're at the attempt suicide resolving that. Siege is back on, or, or domestic violence situations back on. So we go, we get back there as fast as we can. As we arrive, the only other police officer in town, who's a shift sergeant at, at, at the time, Rowley, is already there on on site. We try to deal with this siege by negotiation. There's a there's a whole range of things that have to be done in uh, anti police stand operating procedures legislation policy for dealing with a siege. And use of a forced entry is a last resort. You're not meant to go into the house. You're meant to coordinate, communicate, resolve as peacefully as you possibly can. Through phone? Well, we could talk to the guy. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's a house. It's a three-bedroom house okay. in Tennant Creek. But so you're outside the house. We're outside the house. So what, what, we, what we present to is mum and the kids are inside, locked in one of the rooms. There's, it's a long hallway with the living at the front of the house and then there's three bedrooms at the end. 
there's one light on at the back of the house for one of the rooms. So we make the assumption, right, the kids are in there. Mum comes around the back of the house and she somehow presents and she starts talking to Mouse, the, the, my, my partner. Rolly's already there. He briefs us, old mate's inside and the kids are inside. We don't know what's happening. He's the, You can hear the man just yelling and screaming, okay, this isn't good. We're thinking to ourselves. Rolly and I come up to the house to the door and we try to negotiate and communicate with this guy to get him to open the door and let us in. We come around to the back and we can see through the back window that he's holding two knives and he wants to do something with them. He's threatening us to come inside so he can either kill us or we'll kill him. So it's mm. one of those um, suicide by cop environments. Yeah. However, he's got a, it's a siege situation. He's got the kids in, you know, detained. They can't get out. We're not sure what he wants to do, but suicide by cops is a pretty terrifying concept because it means he's at the end of his limits and he could potentially harm himself and others as well. We've got no options. We're, you know, I explained a thousand kilometres from Darwin. No one's coming in time to resolve the situation and support us. There's no other cops we can call out within a 45-minute time frame and there's no cops coming from Alice Springs because that's three and a half to five hours away depending on time and response. Mm. Rowley makes the decision as the acting officer in charge or shift sergeant at the time. We're going in. Now, we had only just been presented with the capability to use the X-26 taser at the time. And uh, I'm, I'm armed with a taser. I'm qualified with a taser. So we get to the door and it's a solid core, solid core wooden door, which means it's heavy and hard and it's on a deadlock system. We both hinge ourselves up against the vehicle that's parked beside the door and we both do like double booted strikes on the door to kick the door in. The door finally busts off its hinges and look, that's no small effort. So we're pretty mm. buggered at this point. There had been some other stuff that had happened before with some pepper spray through the window and, you know, the offender yelling and screaming at us. That hadn't resolved the situation. We get into the door and I, we'd already sort of had a bit of a, a pre-brief on what we're going to do. I present the taser and Rolly presents the firearm over my shoulder. The, the requirement for that situation is ECD or electronic control device has to have a lethal cover to support because of the reload time on a taser and the distance that can be covered with a lethal threat with a knife or an edge weapon inside of 6.2 metres or whatever the distance is. So I'm presenting the taser. I'm calling on the offender to surrender um, and he backs down the hallway towards the three bedrooms with the lights on. Rolly's got the firearm over my shoulder and in my mind, the, lethal, the use of an ECD equates to a lethal use of force. So I discharge the, the ECD, which is pulling the trigger and you know, the question, Chip, you asked was, is there a time before this awareness that you have? Mm. At that moment, I had formed the intent to pull the trigger on a on a, an ECD, which alternatively, if I wasn't equipped with it at the time, would have been a firearm. A so gun, I would have shot yeah. this guy. And it was at that moment that everything changed in my world about how I think about threats, use of force, dealing with people, the whole concept around reality alters in a split second the taser top barb strikes the offender you need two barbs to get effective takedown he gets hit by it recognizes he's not going down clears it out with a move across the chest he's got his arms there he'd previously like the reason i tased him because he was holding his knife across his wrist mm. threatening to commit suicide and challenging us to advance on him so i didn't really want to advance hence the taser i didn't want to get stabbed and i didn't want roller to shoot him so mm. tasered he clears the one barb that hits him in the chest. I go to reload the taser because it's the only option I've got. Rolly hasn't started shooting, thankfully. And as I do it, a little bit of comedy, but the taser charges for five seconds. And because it's, it's so high pressure, I go to 
discharge the taser cartridge and taser myself in the hand because it's still going. Oh, mate. <laughs> yeah. so, so in the midst of all this craziness, I'm, I'm giving myself a boot. Anyway, <laughs> I realise I'm an absolute dickhead and I switch it off. I get the next cartridge out, which is a, a cluster to get out because the, the holster system was ridiculous. I put mm. it on and we start advancing down because what happens, and this is the terrifying moment, the way you know my, my brain started to change was this gentleman – I shouldn't call him that, offender, goes into the only room that's lit up, the lights on. Mm. Our minds are three kids, death by cop, suicide by cop. He's gone in there and we don't know what's going to happen. Um, we move up, we like we move pronto up to that door. <clears throat> We're kicking on this door, but it's a hollow core wooden door. So when you put the boot in, the front collapses. It doesn't move. He's bodied himself up against the door. So he's in a room sort of like what we're sitting at the moment, lads, and he's got his body up against the door. So I... Don't know why I thought of it. Exchange the car, the, whole, the taser to my other hand, pull out my ASP baton, and it's probably about the only time it's been functional or useful in my policing career, and I punch a hole in the door where I figure he's going to be standing because we've tried to open it. Where you know The whole time we're doing all these things, you know, calling on him to surrender, identifying ourselves as police, all these yeah, things. All, all part of the training. Yeah, yeah, punch a hole in this door with the baton, place the taser through the door, and taser him successfully through the door. He goes down. We're able to effect the arrest. Turns out, Mouse, what a legend of a woman. While we'd been in that conflict with him originally in the hallway before we'd resolved the situation in the room, um, had managed to negotiate and get the kids out of the house. She'd smashed a window and got the kids out of the house, got them to escape. We didn't know this because we couldn't communicate with her at the time because we're so locked into this conflict with this fella. Um, so we successfully arrest him, no lethal use of force, taser was effective, he's handcuffed, we end up getting up to the hospital with him and the kids are safe. But that moment, I'm 22, mm. 21 years old and I realise like, this is for real, this is for keeps. People live and die in this job and your actions will directly affect how that happens. But how did it change you? Forever in a day. It changed me because the training that I received around ECDs, tasers, was the application of force has to be equivalent to lethal force. So in my mind, I'd got to the point where if I didn't pull the trigger, people were going to die. So I Mm. needed to pull the trigger. And it was that moment of recognition at that point in time that I was committed to an act that would otherwise have taken another human's life if I wasn't prepared to or prepared with the right tool at the time. Yeah. Now I know Axon, who make the taser, have done a huge amount of work in developing their less than lethal use of force options. Yeah. And now they've got even more fantastic tools out there to provide police officers better options. Yeah. Because although it's funny that I taser myself in the hand, it's also shit because it only yeah. had one round in that taser before yeah. having to manually recharge it. Yeah, There are better options out there now. And if those options had been in my hand at the time, I would have resolved that situation yeah. rapidly and with the taser without any more of that happening with the risk of the kids in the room or mm. having to you know, force entry on another yeah. seat situation in another room. Yeah. So what changed for me is the lethal application of force and the conscious decision to potentially take someone's life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah I was going. just going to ask to get back to what uh, Tim uh, was talking about when you can, you know, you know, you can go to a level ten stress, and then the level twos don't mean anything. Do you notice people who may who don't have the experience that you've had at, at signing too much, uh, you know, worry or threat to a situation that you know just it's yeah. not doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah you totally. see that. I think probably the easiest way to describe it is uh, I do a fair bit of Brazilian jiu jitsu, 
And <laughs> there's a there's a level of composure in people that are, um, and you see it in veterans, guys that have been over to Afghanistan and Iraq. They're not phased. The ones that have been in the shit, they're not phased by being choked or being put in compromising positions. Mm. They don't assign at the same level of stress as what others might. Yeah. yeah. You you look as though you're one such human being. You you look as though you, you could handle. You know, the tough situations with a low degree of... I knew shaving my head was a good idea. <laughs> he punched a hole in the door, put a taser yeah, through and took the guy out. He 20, is Bruce Willis. That was when he was 21, not when, <laughs> yeah, he's, not yeah. when he's 40, 45. Exactly. Yeah, 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 all, yeah. all that good stuff's behind me now. I just so, like, to kiss the soccer. So what's, watching you here is fascinating for me because all these stories, we haven't even got into counter-terrorism. All the you crocodiles, know. mate. I'm from uh, the territory. Yeah, we haven't crocs. even spoken about the crocodiles. <laughs> all, crocs. Of, all of that stuff, mate, that's been in your life. And yet I feel as if I'm talking to a solid, well-balanced human being. Mm. Right? Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Benny. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure there are things you haven't told. So <laughs> yeah, oh, mate, absolutely. Yeah. So my question is, is what have you learnt through all of these experiences that have actually assisted and helped you to become that solid, stable, balanced, dare I say in the context of this podcast, a, uh, a, a loving, happy human being? Two, two things have stayed with me for a long time. The first one is do, not dwell. So mm. do something, don't just dwell. No yeah. matter what the situation is, you have to move. Yeah. You have to act. You have to create momentum. You have to begin. You have to exert influence on life. You, life only gives back when you're giving. You have to be out there giving. And whether that's, you know, like giving in the sense of service through the police force or giving in the sense of service so that the people I work with now can do greater good through the work that they do, you have to be out there giving. Yeah. Do mm. not dwell. Yeah. And the other one is make a decision every day. What's that mean? Elaborate, please, mate. Just make one, make a decision every day that is beneficial. You know, you've got lots of guys out there on YouTube that do different things and they're like, there's that amazing speech by the Navy SEAL uh, Admiral that, that, you know, make your bed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't make my bed. (laughs) <laughs> that's a decision you've yeah. made make a decision yeah I don't make my bed <laughs> um, so I, but it's make a decision every day that is going to um, improve the lives of either yourself or the people around you and that's it's an altruistic approach to it like do something good every day Ah, oh, see, that's, see, see, you just added something in there. You said yeah. do something good every day. Yeah. Do you go to, go to bed at night time and know that tomorrow that A, B and C are uncompromisable must do? Yeah, I definitely put that in my mind. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a list writer. I'm a task setter. I'm mm. a, these are my actions for the day. This is what I'm going to do without compromise before I go to bed. Uh, and then there's also the things that I just put in the delegate part pile, and I tell I might tell people, yeah, I'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm just, I don't prioritise it yeah. because it doesn't it doesn't hit that category of it has to be done. I, I bet you there are things that you don't prioritise too. That forgive me, other people would because you just see that they're not Everest, they're just little molehills, and that mm. in the perspective of life they really don't matter. Yeah, and you've got that ability to discern. That's a B, that's a C, yep. this is really the A. Yeah. Does that make you bolder? 
Uh, a bit more courageous to do the things that need to be done rather than delay them until tomorrow? Boulder. Oh, I, I don't know whether it's um, more, uh, maybe more open to risk. Okay. Maybe more That's open bold. to mm, outcomes. Yeah, like I'm, I'm prepared to accept circumstances, no yeah. matter what they might be, and yeah. act off what I have to deal with. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, risk tolerance, I think, is a real uh, corollary to joy. You know, the higher yeah. your risk tolerance, I think the more happy you can be. Yeah, well, yeah, I think so. Also, the, the more dangerous it can be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's true. Yeah, the more stupid you can be. Now, now buddy, you've got, you've got to go to an appointment, a oh, big yeah, one today. Yeah, Tell them, where are you going, mate? Chamber of Commerce? Yeah, are you, I'm, are you I'm, the guest speaker? Are you, <laughs> no huh? way, I'm not that high profile. <laughs> uh, no, I'm going to the, the Amcham, so the American Chamber of Commerce over here. Uh, they got a national security uh, lunch on today, oh, right. and I'm just going to go along. One of my friends is speaking. Um, oh, okay. You might, he might be interested in uh, getting on this Absolutely. Mate, do you need any protection while you're going over there, mate? Because <laughs> yeah, the actually, Chip and I are available. You know? AP's got my protection. <laughs> on there. Well, you put me in a corporate setting, the protection requirement changes. I need yeah. the protection. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Now, finish it off for us, mate. Finish it off. Mate, then the loaded question, Chip, the one that we just love to finish off, hit them between the eyeballs. Here it is, Ben. What is love? In the Ben Hosking view of the world, what have you arrived at that, that is love? Why is it worth pursuing? Uh, well, love is, love is beauty. Love is the things that matter to you the most. It's, it's recognising what, what is beautiful in your life yeah. that you need to protect. Love yeah. is all about the beauty that you can find and protect. Are you referring there? Is your mindset around people, yeah, or my job, my is it also is there absolutely. beauty also in your 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 vision and what you create? Is is there beauty in good that question. as well? Yeah, good question. Um, uh, look, I think it, my my why is to help people up. That's yeah. that's my why. Like I, I I know that my my why is to help people up, help others up with what they're doing. That's what matters to me is to find find a way for other people to be expressive and creative and and support them to do those things that they're doing. Mm. You know, I'm the background guy. I'm in, I'm doing the protecting. I'm supporting. I'm making sure people that's, are able to do the things they do. Yeah. So yes, that is part of my vision, and yeah. it correlates to the physicality, which yeah. is my daughters. Are the beauty in my life. Yeah. They are what matter more to me than anything else in this world. And so that is what love is to me. Yeah. Mate, fascinating. You should say that I was reading a Sadhguru book. Yeah. He loves oh, yeah. Sadhguru. Yeah, yeah, yeah. loves Sadhguru. Uh, yesterday. And he was asked, he says, uh, uh, Sadhguru, how come you got all these volunteers helping you put together this, uh, this, this, this big conference? And he says, that's because they love me. And they said, how do you get people to love you? He says, it's easy. You've got to love them first. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so true. And he said, by, by me loving them first, they, they, they give back. Yeah. But he had respect for your time, but also respect for your story, mate. It's, a, it's been fascinating, Chip, isn't oh, it? Oh, it's been such a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. And isn't it, it, it's so fascinating that we get someone like Ben and Tim, and mm. then in between we have Louise and her poetry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then Margarita the and the homeless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful journey and learning from different foundations and different backgrounds. And, and Ben, seriously, I just feel as if there's so much in your story that we haven't even been able to tap into, mate. So yeah. maybe another. 
another time. Yeah. Um, or, mate, please put us in contact with those other good buddies of yours. Yeah, because I'm you, sure they've got similar, some similar backgrounds. Yeah, mate. For sure. mate, thanks very, very much. Listeners, I hope you really did enjoy this. It's, it's different. It's fascinating and it's a different way of looking at the journey of becoming joyful and a loving human being. And that's our purpose, Chipster, because we, the three of us here, have been a part of uh, a journey, journey with, with Bernie, Bernie and, and the Chipster. <laughs> no, oh, bing, no, no Bing, bing this no, week. No Bing. No, yeah, let's forget the Bing over here. <laughs> Cheers, dear listeners. Thank you for being with us. Can't wait to deliver another ripper. It's just around the corner. Bye-bye. Well, dear listeners, what did you think about that? I don't know about you, but I just loved it. Chip, how did you go? Oh, it was a crack. It was a crack. I think you could hear how much I enjoyed that. <laughs> Mate, they're, but they're, they're all so different, aren't they? Mm. Also different, but converging on similar points. I mean, that's what, that's what excites me because it speaks to, and I talk about this a bit, you know, an essential humanity in all of us. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But, mate, this is why we got you on board, mate, because you're going to <laughs> to listen to this episode again and you're mm. going to deliver to us Chip's take-home pay. Mate, do you realise how important this segment is? Uh, I do because you keep telling me. Mate, it's the whole bloody purpose of the podcast. Oh, stop it. <laughs> it's in stop your hands, it. mate. It's what actions, what strategies, routines, disciplines, ways of seeing the world do we need to consider inspired by the discussion we've just had with our beautiful guest. Hey, Chip, you take it away, mate. Thanks, Burn, and thank you, listeners, your bonny wee lasses and handsome young lads, to another edition of Chip's Take Home Pay. And today, I want to talk about the most powerful tool in any human's toolbox that we can deploy in the pursuit of a joyful life of purpose. And that tool is action, doing things. Now, I want you to think back to episodes 36 and 49 of the podcast with our very own punk rock Buddhist monk, Chad Foreman. Now, I don't know if he mentioned this in either of those podcasts, but I do know from joining one of his meditation retreats that Chad considers thoughts to be tools, which I think is really useful. You get your thoughts under control, say with an awareness practice like meditation or mindfulness, and now they become tools that you can use to influence the state of your mind the state of yourself. So take that a step further. Consider that actions are the physical expression of your thoughts. Actions are the means by which your thoughts manifest in the world. Actions, therefore, are the tools by which you influence the state of not only yourself, but of the world you touch, which is what makes action such a powerful tool. Let's take that one step further again and consider the power of not just action, but of bold action. Let's consider something Ben said this episode. One of the two key learnings he's taken away from a life in high stakes professions. Do, don't dwell. No matter what the situation is, you have to move. Now, we caught a glimpse of that mindset's formation in that riveting story about the domestic siege because Ben found himself in a situation that forced him to choose not just between inaction and action, but between inaction and bold action. Because remember, 
According to his training, the use of the taser was equal to the use of a lethal force. In Ben's mind, pulling the trigger on that taser was the same as pulling the trigger on a gun. He was prepared to kill this man. Those were the stakes for Ben. And it doesn't get any bolder than that. And Ben chose action. And because of that choice, because of the momentum that bold choice built that fed into the choices that followed, including smashing a hole in the door with his baton. And can we just pause for a second here to admire the ferocious boldness of that move? Okay, let's continue. So because of that bold action and the actions it led to, Ben was able to take the offender down. Bold action literally saved the day. Now, it's easy to say, wait on, Chip, that was a matter of life and death. It's easy to act boldly when it's life and death. To which I say, sure, but none of us are here forever, are we? Every life is a slow march toward the grave. So isn't every day in its own small way a matter of life and death? Why waste it? Why act timidly? Why not act boldly in the long shadow of that grim reaper? So here's the action step. Two-parter, very simple this week. Step one, tonight, before you go to bed, grab a pen and paper or open the notes app on your phone and write down the boldest thing you could do to make someone in your life happier. Have a think, figure it out, write it down, make it real. Step two, tomorrow, do that thing. No ifs or buts, no excuses, just do what it takes to get it done and be open, crucially be open to whatever comes of that bold action. Now, obviously, I'm not advocating recklessness, but I am inviting you to step outside of your comfort zone. Only you can figure out how bold you'll allow yourself to be, but we have to start somewhere. So let's start tonight. Now, if it all sounds too daunting, I do have one I prepared for you earlier. So take a look in the show notes of this episode at a video I made a few years ago to celebrate the birthday of a very dear friend of mine. Now, I was just going to do a simple highlight reel of all the little comedy videos we'd made together over the years and just post that on his Facebook wall. But then something bolder occurred to me. And after I got over my initial fear, I did it. And I posted that on his Facebook wall. And it went gangbusters. So much love, so much joy. It made my friend's day, and it made the day of everyone who saw it. Check it out. It's a good laugh and proof of how joyful and rewarding boldness in the service of others can be. Final word, if you're still having trouble thinking of a bold action to undertake, just ask yourself this. What would Bruce Willis do? All right, that's all from me, beautiful people. I'm Chip Hardy. This has been Chip's Take Home Pay, and I do hope you found some pay worth taking home. As always, my friends, our Wiedersehen, and just remember... <laughs>